Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Uh, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I also make tabletop role-playing games. And as is our tendency, and I would say, I guess, it's the standard, right? We've got a mm -hmm. guest. Like one of these days, maybe we'll do an episode that's just you and I, but we keep suckering people into coming on the show or in the <laughs> case of our guest here today, coming back. Um, hi, Sean. Hey, how's it going? Good. It's going good. Uh, Sean, introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Sean Jaffe. I am one of the chief designers at Minority City. Um, I've done uh, a lot of different games. Uh, I've been in the industry for almost oh 20 years um whoa no 30 yikes uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i started with white wolf so um and uh yeah uh i've done uh um uh most recently uh rememorex rpg nasty and uh we just finished work on uh commandroids which is our new big one which is transforming robots which i happen to be holding right now <laughs> um and this is audio so nobody can see but there is a uh there's quite the collection behind you yeah oh yeah yeah i got a lot of robots here oh <laughs> well, you're gonna be in trouble when the robot apocalypse does come because those count they do well, I they're yeah. gonna come for you while you're sleeping yeah, yeah they I'll... count they count i think i'll have I'm a more danger from the action figure apocalypse that's <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, Craig, what are we talking about today? Because surely it's not Transformers and, and robots. And oh, we could. <laughs> um, but uh, today we're starting off with a GMing topic and talking about, um, I believe, is this uh, like visual aids and yes. handouts? Visual aids and handouts yes. for GM. All the extra, all, all the extra work that the GM does outside of all of their other normal extra right. work that they put into preparing for the game. But uh, yeah, some some GMs like to uh, create visual aids and handouts. Sometimes game products come with those things. Um, and so we, I think we can speak a little bit to kind of incorporating that sort of stuff. Like what are just, just ideas and, and suggestions for things that people can do that are perhaps um, not terribly time intensive um, or maybe even some weird ones that are a little time intensive. If that's kind of, you know, doing something super thematic um, is appropriate for the game. And if you're into uh, creating that sort of thing, uh, yeah, let's go. Oh yeah. I, lo I love me a handout. I <laughs> adore them. Like it's just, it's a way to elevate my game experience if I'm a player and I almost always use them when I'm a GM, unless I'm running like a quick little pickup game or um, sometimes when I run con games, I don't include handouts, but um, I love having the visual aid there to help bring the world a little bit more together um, and also to create a little bit more intrigue at the table. So I'll talk about um, the one way that I can make the world a little bit more clear for everyone are those handouts like um you can you can print out pictures of your npcs i i got this idea from a great gm i had, had putting little standees with the npc faces on them just a little bust of the npcs this is what you're looking mm. at 
Uh, and then when, especially if you're having a big conversation, like let's say you're role-playing a party situation, there's a lot of people at this party and you as the one single GM with maybe your, your cadre of five NPC voices that are distinguishable and the rest are kind of variations <laughs> on those facts, it can be a little easier oh, to just sick call out there. <laughs> oh, I know it's, that's me. Um, mm. It can be a little easier to just do a little puppet show. I'm going to pick up this little standee. Like I'm playing with my, like with, I'm playing with my action figures and pick up the standee, right. this one now. Um, and that, uh, I love doing that. It's fun. That can be handy if you're dealing with a role-playing scenario, a scene where there's a lot of NPCs around and you want to kind of keep track of like, okay, who's where, who's grouped together. You don't necessarily need like a map and layout and everything, but you could say like, you know, these characters are grouped together over here. These characters are, so like that helps the players to kind of remember, you know, okay, there's like, we're at this mansion and there's a whole bunch of different NPCs that we can be talking to. There's a lot of political stuff going on and there are, you know, people that are, um, you know, at the dinner over here, some other people are in a secret meeting over here that they found out about. You can keep track of all that stuff. Well, you can also, if this is something else I learned from that same GM, they have those little sticky foam pads that you can print stuff onto the foam pads and you can then cut out little tokens with the faces on them too. Cause it can be difficult to get a mini that you really like or just using generic tokens, they're not going to be very descriptive. So instead of having the standee, if you think that takes up too much room on your table, you can print out the little like one inch by one inch square tokens, little foam squares that have the character's faces on them. Um, Or you can combine both, which I also like to do. That's especially useful if you're working with a map too. There's little plastic bases with little notched, uh, like two notched uh, tabs. Mm-hmm. that you can slide uh like you see those for like when people have paper minis rather than having the, the three-fold paper mini that like like a triangle yeah, they'll those, just they'll just fold it over twice and they'll put it in this little notch pad and gives those it, used it's, to be it's a little everywhere heavy. in the 80s that was that was a big thing back in the day but like they're they're still findable but like man they used to be like it, it was like everybody's basement was just crappy with those and <laughs> you, you were just trying to find like where to put them i found them online so a, uh, I don't know if it would count as a handout, but a thing that I do, and it's like part of my games, is um, uh, it's it's uh, what I've described as like a Batman scale, uh, where, uh, so let me give you a quick little story to explain what a Batman scale is. Um, I, 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 if I ever get a chance to do anything for DC, I want to do like a like three-page story where Batman drives through the Australian outback and goes like all the way into the desert, abandons his car, walks through the desert for like five weeks, then like climbs up to the top of this mesa and like goes up to this one old man sitting on top of the mesa and says, All right, I'm gonna need some more lessons because it turned out that the the boomerang was a way bigger part of this than I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> um so a Batman skill that I have I have obtained out of GMing, a skill that I did not think was going to be as big a part of it as, as it was, was uh, um, video editing. So, uh, you know, all, all of my games are taking place in a uh, in 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 a version of 1986 that is full of like weird conspiracies and, and aliens and things. Um, and a thing that I found that uh, um 
it started with uh, LARP. Um, uh, my brother-in-law works for Disney and he explained something called the arch. Uh, every single Disney uh, ride has a arch, something that you go through that says like, okay, as you go through this portal, you're going into another world. So like, for example, if you're getting on like star tours, you go under an ad at walker. And uh, if you're going on to uh, like Buzz Lightyear's ride, you like walk through the door into like, uh, what's his name? Timmy's room. Uh, Johnny, what's the kid's name? But Andy. you get my point. Andy's room. Um, so this thing that like kind of takes you from the real world into the fantasy world. And I wanted to do something like that. But, you know, especially in the past two, three years. I wanted to do something like that that can be more visual than physical. Uh, so I created this opening credit sequence. Um, and it's, you know, so everybody like dims the lights and we turn on the, the, the video, whatever, like TV, whatever, uh, computer monitor and play through it. And it's got, you know, like a couple of commercials from the era. So it looks like you're, you're watching a video from 1986 that's been like left in somebody's basement forever. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it has all the players' names as like the actors in the show. And then once that's over, we're in it. Uh, and I find that's a really good tool to get people like out of like the like, hey, did you watch, you know, Moon Knight yesterday into like, okay, I am now this person, right? And, and it's, a, it's a great transitional device uh i don't know if it counts as like a handout per se but it's definitely you know i give myself a lot of extra work every week by making these but it's worth it that's no, definitely I, a visual aid visual aid i think we, we can't ignore technological things that are more prevalent easier to do um now than they were you know when we all started or at least with some oh, yeah. of us started 30 years ago <laughs> um <laughs> where it was all kind of like handouts was the way to go it was like something on paper um, occasionally it might be like a little model or a mini or something like that. Um, but I've done like, you know, playing, running, running deadlands. I've um, made newspaper pages, like in just in, you know, word doc in, in my, you know, word or whatever. And you can find the right fonts that are kind of like the old, the fonts that the, the type settings oh, yeah. that they used in uh, newspapers during the 1870s, Leading 1880s. Cowboys. Um, and, uh, you can find plenty of black and white photos, or you can find color photos and turn them into black and white photos of cowboys and people, you know, just character, you know, people from that era and pepper them in there. And I would find like, in, and I did that at the beginning of the campaign. I went and searched on all sorts of photos and I found, okay, well, that's my sheriff. That's my general store owner. That's, you know, suppose you could just um, that's the reporter stuff. that's like writing these stories. <clears throat> and, uh, and I would do a thing where every, not necessarily, they were a little bit time intensive, so I didn't do them for every session, but every few sessions, I would make a little newspaper like that and, and PDF it That's and send cool, it to cool everybody um, and send it to people um, beforehand. I'd have a copy, you know, printed at the game, but I'd also, you know, email it out like a three or four days before the game and use the newspaper part like half as a recap of things that have happened to remind everybody of like important plot points that they might have forgotten or we hadn't talked about for a little while um and then also as hooks mm -hmm. you know i would announce the you know the 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 mad scientist from smith and robards is coming to town to demonstrate his mechanical man um you know uh -oh. in three weeks and that was a setup <laughs> to the game that was coming which also told the players that they were going to be able to buy weird science items when he showed up probably um yeah. he was going to have a, a wagon full of smith and robards stuff and so, yeah, like that, that sort of thing. And absolutely use the technology that you have. 
Oh yeah, I would be so, so into that. I've had a couple GMs do that for me. I've never made a newspaper or newsletter before, but that happens a lot in, in LARP. Like the, the game runners will do a little in-character uh, newsletter thing to let you kind of know what to expect. Um, and LARP is incredibly prop heavy for oh, that yeah. reason. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's big a part of how you're playing the game. You can't really do it without them. Right, it's so hard to hook people into because you have maybe you have like a lot of people. And if it's a camp LARP, you don't know if yeah. you're going to be able to really touch base with everyone because they might be coming in at different times and stuff like that too. So uh, that's obviously that's not a problem for a, a tabletop game, but uh, hopefully everyone is arriving at roughly the same time and you're starting the game at roughly the same time for everyone. Uh, but I, I love the idea of a little old timey newspaper. I'm going to steal that. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking of doing like a, I've been wanting to play Good Society, that Jane Austen role-playing game. Um, I would love to do like a Lady Whistledown paper. For those of you who are Bridgerton fans out there or not, Lady Whistledown is uh, a gossip paper in the world of Bridgerton, oh, which is a smart nice. version of Jane Austen. Um, it's, <laughs> it's great. Uh, I do really enjoy it. Um, and I would definitely do a Lady Whistledown. And maybe the part of the thing could be the characters trying to figure out, well, who is, who is this lady whistle down this anonymous gossip monger that could be part of the whole overarching mystery too. Like you could bring in NPCs to be your, like Craig was mentioning, to be your reporters, to be your writers, or to kind of take some you of the even, off of your shoulders. You could have the players. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you could secretly tap one of the players. Like, and that would be like the ultimate twist. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. Maybe one of them is lady whistle down. How did you, yeah, they would they would definitely be suspecting all the NPCs. I love utilizing a player's innate metagame against them. Mm-hmm. Like you can't really get rid of it. Like it's it's easier in LARP than in tabletop. But like there's always like that element of like, well, it can't possibly be Jeff because he's a player character. And like some of the best games I've no, it was definitely Jeff. He was the bad guy all along. Like that was the whole thing, you know, Um so that's that's a really cool idea of having the the gossip rag being one of the players that's writing it. Yeah, there's a lot you can do with your you can get your players to if you want to do like this this rich handout heavy visual heavy world uh, for your tabletop games or for your LARP or for whatever you can always recruit your players. So if you wanted to do handouts for your NPCs, like if your characters, if your players, I mean, have. NPCs that are in their background, make them come up with the image for them. Don't do it yourself. Make them do it anyway. They're going to be more into picking out the picking out the character. Um, uh, if you want them, like if you want maps and things like that, there's not there's not a rule that says like, oh, if this character knows something about this place. If you're not playing something that's super secret heavy, you have the players help you find some maps. Um, if, if you're worried about the time commitment that this is going to take, it doesn't really, in my opinion, it's part of the fun of making the game and making the world, but it can, it can take some time adding and, your prep time. Yeah. And you can also make some of those things kind of permanent and mute, you know, and you can just edit them and change them too, for stuff like that. Like it, it also taking that newspaper thing, if it's, if you're playing a, like a modern day or futuristic game, you can make that page look like a web page or a blog page or a, a news website, um, and if you have a website for some reason, you could make stuff on a page and just make, you know, that page isn't public um, and then send links 
um, to the players. You could have like something that changes like every so often as I file this idea away for when I play test caper cyber. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, the handouts too. Um, you don't have to necessarily write a bunch of prose either. If, if that sounds like it's not up your alley, one, one thing that I've had success with is like, okay, the players say they want to read the newspaper of the day. Instead of writing out an article, you can type up a little summary of the important thing that they would have gotten for, for that. And you can literally hand it to them. Maybe if they had a bad role, maybe they had like a mixed success. Maybe you include some irrelevant information in, there, in that summary and you hand it to them. And then they can just read the summary. It takes less time for you. It takes less time for them. Uh, you can also little hand out sheets to people for... If you have a game with a lot of intrigue and they are trying to roll, for example, like insight or like a history check or something like the equivalent of that, you can hand just that paper, the information on that sheet. So that way, unless they share that information, which maybe they will, maybe they won't, they can be secret instead of you saying it out loud to them at the table. I like those kinds of handouts a lot. I was, I've been slowly designing uh, a game to play to to run for people uh, for the SCP game, and oh, cool. yeah, uh, I'm, I want to do one based off of this grand arc um, that's in that's in the wiki about this music notation that drives people insane and makes them kill themselves eventually. It's it's part of this creepy SCP thing. You know how it is. <laughs> um, but I want one of the one of the times none of my players are going to listen to this. So uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the <laughs> things to happen, I want, I want to hand out a sheet that says like you, you slowly start tapping to a beat and you won't realize this until someone points it out to you. And then when someone, when someone realizes it and points it out, you hand that person on another sheet and they're also going to start tapping a beat. And then un until they figure it out, everyone might start, keeping going in and progressing along this track. And that's a way again, to preserve some of the intrigue and some of the mystery uh, without breaking the illusion and showing the hand inside of the puppet. So music is something that I make a lot of use of. And the next game we're working on is going to be very heavily music based um, because uh, it's, you know, it's all new wave rock stars. Um, and uh, it's set in the same universe as Commandroids, but you know, Commandroids is uh, um, transforming robots in 1986, and this is uh, holographic new wave rock stars in 1986. The serial numbers are filed off, but I think we all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so, uh, <clears throat> and we're sort of taking uh, Barbie and the Rockers and Gem and the Holograms, sort of mixing it with Buckaroo Banzai and uh, and they live. Um, so one of the things that uh, we've been playtesting with is uh, a system of like video duels, because in those shows, like any of the shows about like new wave stuff, the way that like combat takes place and it's like not a game, you know, that I really want to have combat be an emphasis. Um, it, it tends not to be so much like people just punching each other. It's it's like literally using music as a weapon against the other band's music. And it's about like competing visuals 
So like one band will come like surfing in on a bunch of guitars and start like circling the other band. And then the other band will start playing louder and they get bigger and that like, and so that kind of stuff, it's all like these, it's almost like a wizard's duel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like, that's really what we're working on now is making that be part of it. But like, part of that is, you know, every time I run any game, like I can't run a game without music. It's just not a thing I'm able to do. Like I use background music so completely it's more important to me than character sheets and dice and uh so i really wanted to give some of that to the players uh but it does mean like you know so you know like this band is yours and your guys are going to have that or like this song is yours you guys can use that as as a thing whenever you want um and you know and we're still working out how that how exactly that functions uh because it's really difficult and it's it's a lot of uh you know, there's really no precedent. I mean, I can't think of any other game that really does that as much. So, I mean, it's nice because we're treading new ground, but it sucks because we're treading new ground, so we don't have anything <laughs> to work on. Yeah. You know, and, um, but uh, like with all of these, um, the physicality of it is a big part of it. Like uh, I got I got this girl right here uh, who's like a little picture of a Sean. tiny... Uh, Oh right, we're not. Visual. Sean is holding uh, up a, a a little robot, robot figure. Yeah, it's a little lady robot, uh, and she's one of the NPCs from uh, uh, my Commandroids game. And and one of the things that I wanted to do when we started this was to uh, to make it easier for GMs to get customs of you know the action figures of their players and of their NPCs. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things that made me fall in love with GMing was I, I ran a Star Wars game way the hell back in the day. And I customized uh, uh, a series of Star Wars figures of the player characters so that when, you know, uh, when we would do stuff like I just they just had instead of miniatures, they just had figures of themselves. And the beauty of Star Wars is you can get all that stuff. So you could be like, OK, here's an ad at what exactly are you doing? Right. And if you've got an ad at toy, then you can just be like, all right, I'm going to climb up this leg and, and you can you can get into that physicality of it, which um, I kind of like the idea of, of toys and games sort of melding in that way. Um, so I've been working on trying to get that, you know, but that's obviously uh, a whole other ball of wax. Um, but it is part of the, the thing of having this, you know, very physical, very toyetic game world that I've been uh, working on with the rest of Nerdy City. It's a lot of fun, though. You know, like, people definitely get into it. They're like, oh, oh that's yeah. me. <laughs> that's a little yeah. plastic me. If, if you're running a Star Wars game and you're a Star Wars Lego collector. That's the way to do it. You yeah. could build something that like you want to know what your your new spaceship looks like. This is what it looks like. Like I built yeah, here this. You go. Or you just give you give your players a big pile of Legos and be like, let them build show it. me like make that yeah. part of session zero. Build your spaceship. What does it look like? <laughs> your, you know your junker that and you're if, starting out in and as they go they can improve it they can make it better if they're bad at legos you'd be like ah uh, yeah, yeah it's a junker cockpit so it doesn't start go with, anywhere but then as it goes along you could you could have them they could they could yeah. add, add to it and improve it and that would so be funny. a lot of fun <laughs> like every every six sessions everybody just has like a lego building <laughs> a game where really you spend like half the session kind of doing role play stuff and then where you're like you know shopping you know when you do those those sessions where it's like all shopping and npc interaction and stuff okay and now we'll also spend right yeah adding to our spaceship oh yeah people, and you just people talk love... in character while you do that that would be really cool that's that a great be... idea you just can't <laughs> call it lego 
which interlocking blocks. Yeah. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, yeah. People love to have the representations of themselves and, and their players and their stuff in the game. That's why, you know, commissions of people's D and D characters are so popular. That's, that's so something I was going to mention too, is like, you can find artists. Mm. Like if you, if you know, it's going to be a long campaign and you want to, as a GM, like give the players a gift. Um, you can throw in too, or you can have everybody say, Hey, everybody, we're going to play this game. We're going to get art made of your character too. So everybody throw in 20 bucks and I'm going to throw in a little bit more. And we're going to get an artist to do like a group shot of these four or five characters. And you can find people that'll hit a, a price point that you can do that you can handle um, with a, you know, level of detail you want to, you know, or, you or the for, trick is you just sort of thing. invite yeah. the, uh, the artist into the game. There you go. Uh, <laughs> That's a good way to do it too. find uh, artists hate this one weird trick. <laughs> <laughs> One of uh, one of my favorite artists is in my my Tuesday night game, and uh, he keeps uh, like because uh, we do it over Zoom. He's in in Canada um, uh, or over Discord, and and he will occasionally like do cartoons of stuff that's happening in the game as it's happening. And some of those have even made it into like the command, like in uh, Commandroids. I couldn't tell you what page. There's an image of like a giant robot handing a teenage kid an orange soda, and that's just directly from one of those cartoons of like something that happened in game. Uh, but like, also some of them are hilarious. <laughs> like this one where like somebody came to a short stop and transformed, and the pilot just went flying out of the, and and uh, he did this great picture of that, and and so it does kind of help to like, you know, definitely visualize what's going on. But I mean, that's, you know, obviously a very, uh, you know, special case. I don't recommend that everybody uh, get an artist to cartoon things in real time. That's probably uh, a, a, a difficult thing to make happen. Well, you'd be <laughs> surprised. There are a lot of people who you might not know are like artists at all that will draw. I mean, people who like to draw are going to draw things and they will eventually draw their character. And once they start sharing things, everyone else wants to do it too. Um, that's, that's yeah, I mean, human tendency. <laughs> I don't think of myself as a great artist, but I always draw every character I play. Like not every NPC, but if I'm playing a character, I always wind up drawing it. Yeah, I always, I like, I'm not a good artist at all. And I have still drawn not just my stuff, but I've drawn other people's characters too. Mm. I, I had a joke that our cleric, our dragonborn cleric was secretly a necromancer. And it was the way that I made fun of her character every time. So I drew her character as a necromancer. <laughs> it was great. It was really fun. I it's took just another a look. way to get us in. I took a look to looking for lists of like odd stuff that you may not have thought of. And I found some that I really kind of like. Um, and some of these are like old school with, you know, paper handouts or whatnot. Some of them are kind of built off of technology again, too. Um, rather than just telling the group what the secret code or the what, uh, whatever is, like give them the, the note that some NPC scrawled that has something in a secret code that they can try to work out or, the, or give them the cipher or a part of the cipher that will decode something. And so that when you, when you give secret code stuff out, they've got part of the cipher to work from and they can yeah i was doing a lot that of that sort of the, thing out in the video stuff that's uh that was something that i, I found was super useful especially like you know because it's all like you know mk ultra cold war era codes and things like that so i put a lot of those so i would do stuff with like the opening credits where like there would be like um a uh, uh a text crawl on the bottom of the screen like there might be like uh you know uh a a uh uh a big thing is the the 80s had the uh 
not a test, uh, the uh, emergency, test broadcast, emergency system. broadcast system. And then that was like clearly like a kind of number station thing that was going in. So I could put that in there. And, and uh, I mean, that is me playing to my own personal uh, uh, phobias because that used to always freak me out. It, was, it just seemed so incredibly horrifying to me that they would be like hey uh by the way uh that any point everything that you ever cared about and knew in your entire world could be vaporized in a matter of seconds because you live near a major metropolitan area anyway now now back to thundercats and you're like wait wait, what what excuse me (laughs) right so i really wanted to like build and so that was something where like the television goes from being this like warming comforting presence to suddenly incredibly scary and so that was part of the way that i could use the video stuff and i even used some elements of uh other uh videos like like a lot of the analog horror stuff especially uh, local 58 and i actually reached out to uh Chris Straub, the guy who created Local 58. And if you don't know what Local 58 is and you're a GM that's doing anything Cold War related, I cannot stress enough. You need to go check it out right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I sort of brought that in and it was it was a great way to uh, really like, because again, it was this thing where I could create like a general routine. Every week we'd watch the same opening credits, right? And so I could kind of show you what that fear was like because if something really bad was going to happen in game, the opening credits would stop midway through, and then it would just be that horrible beep, and, and the and and it would go into the uh, the emergency broadcast system, and then you knew like, uh oh, you know, something's <laughs> hit the fan, like this is really bad. Um, so that's yeah, that that is a, a and anything audiovisual I feel has has a lot of impact. For sure. worth looking at that. Speaking of audio, another one I want to mention is um, have a friend record, like give them a script, but have the have a friend record so it's a different voice. Um, uh, like on an audio app, recording app on your phone, a desperate call for help. And one of the characters, one of the good. players' characters receives this voicemail while they're asleep. And it, when, if they Ooh. call it back, it's a dead number, but here's the clue of somebody that needs your help. That's good. Um, and then you can do the same thing too, like if, especially, and you know, like like I said, you can get like friends, uh, other friends to help out with this too. These are like real quick things, like you can just like when you're out for dinner, it's like here, record this twenty second thing in my phone. Um, uh, notes between secret lovers. Yes, like I have done and this. do that with different people who used to have different handwriting, so that they won't recognize your handwriting if you're using it for other handouts and stuff. Or, you know, just get a generic font. Get a different yeah, but, yeah, font. but I, I, I like the, I, I mean, and you can certainly do it computer-wise and, and print it out, um, it, but that does look computery. But if you have it, like if it's clearly handwritten where the letters are all a little different and stuff that there's, it's another feel, it's another feel to it. So it's a question of like what you want to invoke. And, you know, something again, you can, it can be one of those things. Like if you've got a regular get together with some friends to play board games or something, just like while everybody's shooting the shit, Grab a couple of people and say, hey, you're like, here, here's the thing I wrote. Just write this out in hand, handwritten on this piece of paper. Something you can do with those. I've done it in the past and it, it's it's minor. It takes no time and it really adds to it. Crumple it up mm-hmm. and just kind of throw it at the players. Make them unravel it like that's such a big difference than just handing them a piece of paper. Coffee or tea dye the paper. Yeah. You, if you if you kind of ruin it a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it adds a lot. 
And one other one that I really like is a shopping list. Like, what's the weird thing on the shopping list that is going to suddenly spark the players into like, oh, there's something going on. Like, this is some sort of a clue into what the character, you know, and the thing on the shopping list doesn't have to be like death ray, you know, but it can be something that's kind of out of the ordinary (laughs) for like, if they get to know this NPC and then there's suddenly a shopping list and there's two or three items that are kind of weird and out of the ordinary. Yeah. uh, 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 Like. Yeah, I mean, just what 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 is it that you want that NPC? Like, who is that NPC really? Is there there's some sort of a secret going on there? The shopping list can reflect that because what like, that's that's, that's just something that people do in general. You make a shopping list or you make a little notes to yourself and then you throw them away and you don't give it any thought because nobody's going to go through my garbage. Well, in a in a in a role playing game, <laughs> why aren't those characters going through people's garbage? You can also do like you can get custom stuff uh, printed, not for like super cheap necessarily, but you know, for for a little bit of money, you can get um, or you can print yourself like customized cards. And maybe they have found these weird playing cards and the dead bodies that they keep investigating, or um, a matchbook, like a set of like a book of matches with a, a club's name and an in an address printed on it. Like there's all sorts business of cards business are something cards. that's those are cheap to do. You can get those yeah. little those little tear up, you know, those little cardstock pieces that you can put in your printer and they tear up to the size of a business card. You can just, you know, get the template for how to lay that out and just make little business cards for different NPCs. Yeah, scroll, scroll those, thing... scroll those notes or shopping lists or whatever on the back of the business card. Another thing worth pointing out is that like it's a, it's, this is all stuff that the players are going to be metagaming and they don't want to, it's not that they want, it's just how they operate. Right. And it's exactly what you would be doing in that situation. They're like, okay, clearly the GM put extra effort into this. So clearly I need to pay more attention to it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want it to be that obvious, you could do like a session where you print out like seven things and only one of them is important. I was about to go there. Then yeah, like you give them a handout that, yeah. that means absolutely nothing. Yeah, at some get, every like, so often, uh, give them one that's like, "There's nothing useful in here." Yeah. yeah to be fair, a, though, it, it's the garbage you found. The things that you think are obvious are not going to be obvious to yeah. them. That is the that's the thing. They you, will you assume might, something, yeah, you know, and they'll get hung up on it. it maybe. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, getting back into the uh, into the the <laughs> LARP thing, um, I uh, I used to work for an escape room, and I, I was I was getting a couple of LARPs in there. Um, and one of the things that I realized pretty quickly is, uh, you know, there's a lot of live action games that utilize a lot of the same principles of escape rooms. It's like figuring out clues and things like that. And we wanted to make the escape room last a lot longer. So like each clue would be an entire session rather than like you figuring out the entire thing at once. And the trick to it was very simple, which was just flooding the escape room with more clues. So if you go into an escape room under ordinary circumstances and you open up a drawer and there's one book in that drawer, clearly that book leads you to the next thing. But what we did was we just said, okay, you open up this drawer and there's like 10 books in there. And now you have to figure out which one of these is important, how it ties into the, and like, that's a way of stalling the players and slowing them down. And that's not just uh, applicable to that situation. You can like, anytime you add more clues and most of them don't mean anything, uh, you know, it always slows people down. That's that's always the way to do it. And they, you know, they still have fun looking at all the weird physical stuff that you're giving them. And sometimes you can usually lead them down entirely new paths, right? So if you've got uh, uh, 
um, like a uh, uh, like a, a shopping list that is completely insane. Like you can kind of be like, all right, uh, this person just bought 400 pounds of raw meat. It has nothing to do with our current story, but clearly this is going to become a problem um, because now they're keeping wolves for some reason or something like that. Right. Or they're eating an inordinate amount of raw right. meat, they, <laughs> which is they, also a problem. They are some sort of weird monster that needs to consume or they're the flash. And they're going to yeah. cook that meat up and they're going to eat a lot of food because they've got to burn through, you know, 20,000 calories a day. Or they're, they're cooking for a wedding. possibilities. Anyway. Um, uh, we can move on to our next topic, on. though. I mean, there's so much yeah. in the world, so much rich in the world of visual aids and handouts. That's because, like, when you have something and it's in your name or it's like this physical representation of your game, it is an incredibly important and meaningful thing. And that's why copyrights and trademarks exist. And that's our next topic. <laughs> nice segue. Well done. I know. Good. I'm always very proud of myself. Like, <laughs> <the> connection. <laughs> oh, okay. So first up, copyrights, trademarks, that sort of stuff. What are we they? are not lawyers? We are not copyright or trademark professionals. We are not uh lawyers about any of this stuff these are all just things we've sort of gleaned about um copyright oh trademark boy. and so forth in the rpg realm it's it's different in other you know it's different in different countries different jurisdictions it's different for different types of media um this is just we're, we're talking about words on page in rpgs and uh kind of things to keep in mind about all of that yeah so. i only play a lawyer on tv i don't even <laughs> do that much <laughs> Anyway, what's the difference between a copyright and a trademark, though? Like, what, what does that even mean? Uh, well, a copyright law protects original works of authorship. Um, I actually looked up some definitions, <laughs> as it turns out, including literary, <laughs> dramatic, musical, and artistic works, such as books, movies, songs, computer software, and works of visual art. Um, it protects uh, the form of expression. The underlying ideas themselves are not copyrightable, and we will touch on that in a few different ways, I'm sure, as we talk. A trademark is a word, phrase, symbol, or anything else that identifies and distinguishes the source of the goods or services. So a trademark is usually, uh, it can be a, a logo, a name, you know, an image of some sort that's distinct, you know, particularly distinguishable for your game, your company, um, whatever it might be, and, or it can be a word or a phrase. Um, uh, uh, you know, just using <laughs> stuff to, you know, go to games, of course, Dungeons and Dragons is trademarked. Monster Manual is trademarked, which is why is anybody who puts out a fifth edition or any other edition monster book that's compatible with the current version of D&D never calls it a monster manual, even monster manual of this or that, or the mm -hmm. this world's monster manual, or they always come up with some, you know, monster menagerie or creature collection or some other alliterative name. Um, because that one, <laughs> that one's actually, you know, and like, you know, when you get into the, the D and D stuff, the OGL, there's a number of things that they've trademarked in there. There's um, that are considered part of their intellectual property. That's why certain monster types that are kind of wholly invented by D and D um, just never get used in third party stuff. Uh, so that's the, you know, kind of the basic difference between both of those, as far as like, what's useful to you as a designer, if you want to trademark or copyright something um, that's open to debate in a lot of areas. And it has to do primarily, I would think um, 
the, the concern becomes the bigger you get, the more important that all that sort of stuff is because um, trademarks, copyrights, all this stuff are only as valuable as the money you are prepared to spend to enforce them. Um, you can put a copyright or a trademark on something and if somebody steals it or you know infringes on your copyright or trademark in some way, mm-hmm. Nobody's going to come in and magically fix it for you. You have to <laughs> sue them, um, and uh, that's you know that's another you know that's that's the issue at hand. So I've run into this a lot, um, and uh, like I used to work for Warner Brothers uh, in uh, the early two thousands. Uh, I did script stuff for them, um, and. Uh, it was uh, it was certainly like a uh, interesting thing, and then uh, I wound up uh, meeting a bunch of people um, in you know different uh, levels of entertainment, um, and I kind of picked up some mentors here and there that kind of walked me through this world, uh, and you know all of them kind of say the same thing, which is you know it only kicks in at a certain size. Um, uh, provided you are not too overly egregious, like any tabletop game designer can get away with a lot more than say like a television show could, um, you know, uh, because we're just so under the radar and frankly, there's just no value in suing us. Right. So like, as long as we are not openly egregious, right. If you don't say like, Oh yeah, I'm doing the next, power rangers game book obviously they're going to come after you for that yeah but if you do uh we're the space rangers and it's a group of multicolored, uh you know superheroes that combine into a giant robot they don't care like it's 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 such small potatoes you can you can really get away with a lot um which is exactly what we're freaking doing here uh if i'm being honest you know we've got transforming robots and uh we've got uh you know fashion dolls and all that as like kind yeah of i've done multiple games that are literally just something with the no, the serial numbers filed off the serial inspired numbers filed by off this is, other thing yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and, okay, it's, and it's clearly an homage um and uh you know and, and this was a thing that we got into uh so i worked for um uh eschaton media doing a lot of the dystopia rising stuff uh, and Dystopia Rising's game world leads a lot on pop culture. It's the idea is, you know, that the, the pop culture of now becomes like the religions of the zombie apocalypse and things like that. And so about halfway through, they realized they were getting a little bit bigger and had to be a lot more careful about that. So <laughs> about like three supplements in, everything takes like a strange turn where like that kind of stops being the case. Um, and, uh, and, and, that was something that, that we kept like negotiating around and like, you know, well, can we reference this song lyric or can we reference this TV show? And, um, but for the most part, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're like an indie designer, um, and you've got, you know, uh, Warner brothers or, or Marvel coming after you, that's a good problem to have. Uh, one of the things that I did a lot of research on was I really wanted to do a Star Wars LARP. Um, and I looked into, uh, extensively, uh, the 501st because they're not, you know, legally a branch of Lucasfilm. Um, they are a fan group that just dresses up like stormtroopers and Star Wars characters and does stuff in those costumes, 
which loosely is kind of just what a LARP is. I mean, if the 501st just went into a field and pretended to be stormtroopers shooting it, uh, that would be a LARP, right? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that was my thinking. It was like, okay, these guys clearly can do this. So like, what are the parameters? And so I talked to some of their people and it turned out like they've got a lot of leeway. Um, and the reason is, is because, uh, Lucasfilm was, was pretty smart about like how to handle this, you know, they realized they had a good thing here and they wanted to keep it going. So they said, okay, you can use almost all of the, uh, the copyrights, um, but you can't make money. This is all for charity. Uh, and so they had this whole thing where they set this, you know, they set this, I think there's like, there was like two or three terms they couldn't use. And it was like, they couldn't use the term Star Wars. They couldn't be like, we're throwing a Star Wars party. It had to be like, we're throwing a 501st party or like a Galactic Heroes party. And I think the other one was, for some reason, Darth Vader. They couldn't say Darth Vader specifically. There was one term like that. I don't know. Both of which, which I'm was. sure are tra- trademarked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's well, like I think all of them are and... trademarked. Yeah. I think like, you know. All your major characters are probably trademarked. Yeah. Darth Vader. Yeah. Nah, Stormtroopers like, not trademarked. That's where that's that's Nazis. That's I doubt they have a, I doubt they have a trademark like, on that one. But I'm yeah. sure like all the main, Star all the Death proper Star, names. Luke yeah, Skywalker, all that stuff. Millennium all Falcon, all that. Trademark. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, they, it was it was very strange and arbitrary, like the one or two terms that they absolutely could not use. Um, and uh, then, yeah, the rest of it was like, you, you kind of can go nuts as long as it's all for charity. So uh, we ran a couple of Star Wars games that, you know, we used all the terms, but, but like all of the money just went to the local animal shelter. We figured, hey, we're good, right? Um, and I figured that was the way it worked. Um, so, uh, to, and that was, that was sort of what I, what I figured was normal, uh, and like, okay, like a company will let you get away with stuff as long as it's for charity, you know, or at least Lucasfilm, you know, I'd check in if I wanted to do that for like Star Trek or, or Marvel or something, but, but Lucasfilm, like that seems to be the rules is you can kind of dress up like their characters and kind of do a thing as long as the money goes to charity, which I think is a, it's a very cool rule. That's a very cool way to handle your fandom. Um, and the 500 first are great guys. I mean, that's, that's what they're doing, right? They're going to like children's hospitals and things and cheering up, you know, sick kids and all the money goes to charity. Um, so that was something that, you know, made sense. And I started doing like all this star Wars stuff, but then, um, when we first started working on commandroids, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to look into this for Hasbro. And this is where things get really weird. So, uh, there was a, a term that somebody told me it was, uh, like benevolent neglect where they'll like, look the other way if you're raising money for charity. So um, I'm holding up like a bunch of little like robot figures here that all turn into jet fighters, right? And you can see them. Uh, and, and these all look like transformers. This, this little lady here definitely looks like she's a transformer. She turns into a jet. She's purple. Uh, this is not a transformer. None of these things that I'm holding here are transformers. These are all third-party toys that look exactly like specific transformers. There is very clear copyright uh, uh, <laughs> breaking happening here this is this is clearly supposed to be brainstorm from the transformers this is this is definitely supposed to be thundercracker uh and uh they are made by these little indie knockoff companies and this is the weird part was the first time i went to a transformers convention they these companies are all doing this for profit they're not sending the money from these toys to like uh um you know they're not sending it to like 
a, a hospital or anything. This is all for profit. And it's all clearly just total breaking copyright. Um, but Hasbro, once again, looks the other way because uh, it's a thing with uh, they they realize that, like, there's sort of a fan experience that comes with. And I think this is a lot trickier to navigate, but it's it's certainly there is that they've got like this, you know, fan community that if they're going to buy like this weird little knockoff version of Thundercracker, they're definitely going to buy the $200 masterpiece version of Thundercracker that Hasbro does. Mm -hmm. So they see this as like something that kind of keeps everything alive. So when we did Command Droids, I was very careful about like, okay, here's what we're going to change. Here's, you know, it, they, they are not Transformers. They, they, there's some very fundamental differences. Transformers don't need human pilots. Uh, that's a whole thing with it. Um, and uh, Commandroids are like, they are independent thinking beings, but they need pilots to transform, which I think is the primary change. Um, there's a lot of other stuff, but like, that's the big one. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, what, uh, what we started calling uh, Radical Shadows, which is, you know, where we're doing Holomatics, Commandroids, and Mermanons and Adkiria is like a third party universe uh, where it's, it's obviously reminiscent of these 80s properties, but it's not the same thing. Um, and again, you know, we've run this game at Transformers events. And so, uh, you know, it's something where you, you've got a certain amount of leeway, but it, you have to do the research is, is essentially the, the end result of what yeah. I'm saying. Here. If, if you're going to rub up against intellectual property. Um, in any meaningful way outside of just like, this is clearly inspired by, and there's nothing about nothing. What I'm writing is utilizing any of the names or recognizable terminology or whatever, um, which right. is why you do transforming robots, not transformers. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, at the very least, you know, make sure that you're clear about how that can all function. And there's plenty of it out there. And most, you know, again, like, like Sean said, generally you're going to be small potatoes and nobody's going to care as long as you're not yeah. representing anything in a bad light. Yeah. And um, you also, you can't really copyright an idea either. You can't, nope. you can't stake a claim on robots that transform like into everyday objects. That's not a thing that you can do. You can't, you can't copyright a wizard school. You can't copyright, right. you can't copyright giant moon base. Mm -hmm. those are things that you can't copyright and that applies for the games that you make too like sure would you love that only like only my game can be my game can be the only game with with bears that commit robberies and banks no <laughs> you can't um i want to play that i mean that you, exists <laughs> yeah you can't you can't copyright the ideas right um, you can copyright the specific expression of the ideas, which yes, is to say, yeah. if I publish the a book, the way that I describe the rules, not the rules themselves, but how I write the rules, you do this, then you do this, then you do that. And how I organize the information that's copyrightable. That's your copyright circle, sim you know, C circle symbol year, all rights reserved, everything that you put at the front of the book um, for the record. Um, if you're if you're going to be publishing anything, you don't need to copyright. You don't need to file a copyright with anybody. It is copyrighted the moment you publish it. Yes, you can file for a copyright because like there are extra protections that will help you. But you, if should, you're willing to spend the money, and you want to make sure that you do that with the government and not that. with a third party company because that's a scam. Don't do that. Right, the and government that, now, has now, a whole office. Yeah. Be aware, in the U.S. 
my understanding too is that, and again, research all of this, but my understanding is the filing of copyrights is more useful in situations where you're not going to specifically publish it. For example, if I were going to write a screenplay and then and then pass around copies of the screen, screenplay, but not publish it in a form that's going to make money that I'm going to put into any sort of a marketplace, I would want to file the copyright of that screenplay. I, I would say that the way to do but that a, is- If it's, if it's a PDF or a book America, that's going out, it's covered. That's the one you want is uh, the WGA um, and they can, they'll do that for you. Um, you don't want to go, yeah, you don't want to go through any like third party company, go to the writer's guild for, especially for three screenplays and things like that. I've done that a lot. Uh, that's what they're there for is to protect you. Uh, another weird copyright thing that I wound up doing is, is RPG nasty, which was the, uh, um, our, our dumb little zine game of gross VHS horror movies. Uh, and part of the reason we decided to do this is because a couple of those movies, uh, including um, uh, Night of the Living Dead, are public domain. Mm -hmm. So we realized we could save money on art by using screenshots. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so uh, there's a movie called Profundo Rosso, which uh, is a Italian giallo horror movie. And we could use screenshots from Profundo Rosso because uh, in a certain aspect ratio, uh, it doesn't have a... Uh, um, it doesn't have a uh, 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 a copyright. Uh, there's another movie uh, called Driller Killer, uh, which was really like one of the the fundamentals in the whole video nasty movement. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it, I, I I don't recommend it as a movie. It's it's not a horror movie. It's like a two hour movie about a guy trying to paint a buffalo, and then like you know, there's very little driller killing in it. It's, it's pretty boring actually. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the good shot is in the, it was on the, the, the box cover, uh, of like a guy getting a drill in his head. So everybody lost their minds. They're like, Oh, this is too violent. Um, and you know, that again, like somebody just didn't go to the copyright office in time. And so that movie is in the public domain. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, again, your copyright's automatic, but there, like, there's a reason why Mickey Mouse is still under copyright. There's yeah, though it should have been public domain decades ago because, yeah, uh, yeah certain government decisions were made to or, extend that one, or trademark, um, or whatever. It doesn't really matter in terms of like, it's, what we're it's talking trademark, about. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, quick note, uh, just on a side bit, as I was looking all this stuff up too. Um, Actually, I would. I, it's entirely possible that those uh, transforming robots uh, that you saw, they said, "Well, this looks just like this particular transformer." May not have been copyrighted. May have been patented. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, but because it's a physical thing and it's got an op, you know, it's got operable parts that work in a certain way. Um, but patents also extend, you know, can extend to other realms as well. Uh, you can also not patent game rules. You cannot patent. Yeah, um, I was going to any of that sort of stuff. Get into that. The uh, the so RPG weird. industry is is notoriously unsuccessful in attempting to patent any game rules, and I think the one or two or three times that somebody's man managed to patent something, it's not been tested in court. So who knows how viable um, a patent on a game rule um, or I've a game mechanic is anyway? Because once that, until it's been tested in court a handful of times to see like how the courts are going to rule on it, because they're going to dig into, you know, how lawyers can get it's going to go into a lot right. of precedent. There is no precedent. So now now we're gunning to set precedent. And so that it becomes a whole political maneuvering process because we're setting a precedent. Like, how do we want to set this? And like, again, patent like it, cop, the book is the, 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 the game book is pop, is copyrighted the moment you publish it. Patents are like 
there, there's no reason. There's no. Point. I heard a, a um, rumor from, that from that was the reason there was so designer. many Tetris knots, uh, knockoffs. There was like who was because they couldn't patent the the gameplay for Tetris. Uh, especially what with them being, you know, in Soviet Russia at the time, uh, which is why like every like technological device in the 90s had some sort of way to play Tetris on it was because like just nobody owned it. Uh, I don't know the veracity <laughs> of that, but that's the I wouldn't be surprised. Right? Well, yeah, because again, copyright only extends as also as far as your jurisdiction. So if you're in the US, you don't have reciprocal copyright with China, for example. Um, and there it's all government stuff, baby. It's all the government. Yeah. And I, um, I, I do want to throw this out there because I actually, I got, I'm not going to name any names, talk about anybody in particular, but I got into a discussion with somebody once who was basically was working on a game thing. Somebody else was trying to like basically copy it, was trying to pass it off as their own. Um, and I'm not going to get into the details of what the discussion was, but, um, I know some people get. Uh, you know, worried about like, you know, I want to protect my stuff. I want to copyright my stuff. I want to make sure that nobody else can, can steal all my stuff. Again, as we said, that only you can only protect things so far as you're willing to spend money um, to enforce copyrights and the like. But also um, from the point of view of just somebody working in the industry for a few years now, and like, if somebody's going to steal your idea and put something out there, um, and if there's a way for you to show that they like clearly took that thing or, you know, and reworked it and just kind of, you know, modded it into something and they, 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 they changed it into something substantially different, which is, you know, uh, what copyright law is based a lot on that too. Like I can take some, something that somebody's written and if I rewrite it in my own words, like now it's substantially different, but the thing to keep in mind is we talk about this on the podcast. Occasionally the RPG industry is very small. The community is uh, very vocal. There's plenty of stuff that gets shared back and forth on uh, social media, at conventions and all that sort of stuff. Like somebody comes along and takes uh, something of yours and kind of turns it into their own or you do that to somebody else's and don't do it. You shouldn't do it. It's a terrible, crappy human being thing to do. Um, like people are going to find out about it. And yeah. uh, it's really simple. Like it's is 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 taking that other person's idea and twisting it into your own and trying to make something out of it whether in get notoriety or recognition or money or whatever, is that worth it for the sake of the fact that pretty much everybody's going to blacklist you. Nobody's going to want to deal with you in any way, shape or form going forward ever again. Um, so th th there, there is that too. Like the idea that somebody's going to steal something from you. Don't be, don't get too afraid of that because they're going to shoot themselves in the foot if they do it. Now that's to say, you know, don't necessarily, be careful if you want if you want to be careful about who you share things with when it's not in a, a published form um you know there, there's the whole process of the run-up to the point where you actually publish it and the copyright becomes effective um and goes into play like you want to keep you know do what makes you feel comfortable and safe with that sort of thing but um it is it is something that you know if somebody does something like that pulls that on you they're only going to do it once because <laughs> right. they're never going mean, to I've really had, do I've anything again. They're, they're going to get, they're going to pretty much screw I, themselves. I, I, I've definitely had like certain mechanics taken that we were working on at the time and, and like games that have come out that are remarkably like ours that have come out like within months of ours. Uh, but, you know, it's also kind of hard to prove that it wasn't, you know, just uh, like parallel evolution. Yep, I was just about to say uh, that happens. That happens. Like so, somebody it, comes it out with another, another game that's like, oh, that looks a lot like my game. But yeah, uh, 
Uh, but yeah, if it's like the same mechanics and stuff that, and, and you talk to them like three months ago, this was something that happened to me 20 years ago where I showed somebody some mechanics and then like a year after that mechanic was in their game. And I'm like, Hmm, okay. But you know, again, like, what am I going to do? I'm a higher lawyer. Like, eh. <laughs> just keep going. There's nothing really to be gained. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, there's just, you're going to make another game anyway. Uh, I wanted to briefly talk um, just like kind of before we go, because you mentioned it, the public domain art. Um, there's a wealth of resources available online for public domain art or creative commons art. But I would really, really recommend people don't use the Google search function for creative commons art, because sometimes art that is not licensed for public use, like for free for public use and for um, for commercial use. Sometimes they get mixed up in those Google results. Find a website that is like useful for that. Like unsplash.com is a great website. Pixabay, for, Pexels. Yeah, all ooh, of those. Uh, uh, because, vector stock. Mm -hmm. And fonts to typefaces can also be, you like make sure that you're using the ones that are for commercial use. You can't just go and steal typefaces. People make these and make money off of them the same way they make money off of and art. And when in doubt, look for the, you know, if you download a font, there's probably going to be a text file that tells you what the license effectively is, or it's going to point you to a website that like, oh, you know, non-commercial use is free, you know, and sometimes for some of these fonts, it's as simple as like, you know, a $10 donation mm -hmm. for commercial use. They just want to see something. Or they um, so just you want can, you to email what they, what you did with it. Like, or just acknowledge it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They want or acknowledge it in some way. Um, and, for and when example. it comes, and when it comes to the, you know, uh, artwork and and graphic stuff the royalty free kind of stuff too like just just take a look at their um at the terms the terms are in there you can get into the discussion you know break down what the terms are and they're all a little different i did this when i was doing stuff for nowhereville because i was using all um uh, uh royalty free photography that i was then manipulating i had to go look at different sites found the licenses okay like this one says like they just want you to credit it this one says they you know you can change it and they pref they would like you to credit it like sometimes they don't even require that you require that you credit it they would just like you to credit like check to see if they're are they okay with like the, do their license terms say like oh you can flip it rotate it mm -hmm. modify it fill you know, put it through filters whatever it is you're going to do to make it look like something um just yeah take a look at what the different sites do and just start a document of where you go and find those different places and like what they're like what are the things that they say are part of their license and that they're okay with? Um, so like, if you look at the front of Nowhereville, it, it credits all of those, those sites that were like, just like, just credit us. <laughs> um, and I was, and I, and they were, and they all specifically allowed manipulation because I put everything, you know, I put things through filters. So. Yeah. I love, love creative Commons stuff and public domain stuff. It's like my jam. Uh, well, this has been a, a great long conversation with a lot of juicy details. I feel like we've had like a lot of like actual, like, like not that we never have actual stuff to say, but we've had a lot of like specific tips and tricks and places to go. Um, so hopefully the, this episode has been very useful to somebody out there, but Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This has been fun. Sean, go ahead and plug your pluggables. Uh, okay. I feel like I've been doing it this whole time, but, uh, sure enough, uh, everything's on nerdycity.com. Uh, our games are on drive through RPG. Uh, and yeah, uh, we are, uh, um, in the, the final, uh, like getting, uh, the book out to the Kickstarter backers before we go into sales on Commandroids. 
Um, we are, uh, we've got uh, Rememorex and RPG Nasty. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff out there that we've done, like uh, 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 we've got uh, Kronos and uh, X Arcana uh, as well on, um, on uh, Drive Through RPG. So, yeah, just uh, head over there and check it out or go to nerdycity.com and see what we got. Awesome. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Joska, and you can find my games at wannabegames.com or also on DriveThruRPG and Itch under Wannabe Games. And a lot of my games are licensed under Creative Commons uh, because that's how we did it. Uh, a, a specific specific license under Creative Commons. Go look up those terms. If you, if you go and download one of those free games, you can see it there. And then you can get a little glimpse of what that looks like and how, how it's useful. Uh, but yeah. I am just finishing up Means of Magic. That's the only thing that I have on my plate. And I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. The website is nerdburgergames.com. Stuff's available at Drive Through RPG as well. Um, the uh, let's see, geez, uh, Secrets of the Vibrant Sea is coming. I believe Jess, you have a playtest copy sitting somewhere on your computer. I do. Um, yeah, so we're doing a sequel game <laughs> to Secrets of the Vibrant Isle. It's just a solo game. Um, and I'm tinkering around with doing a, um, a Patreon that I'm going to use to lead up to actually finally making Capers Cyber, which is the bookend alternate 2020s um, version of, uh, you know, super powered uh, gangster, super powered criminals with uh, cyber powers, you know, cyber tech as well, um, battling the mega corporations, which I know Jess will appreciate um, as a thematic thing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and gonna, I'm, I'm setting a Patreon in place to help to start to anybody who follows the contributes to the Patreon is going to be able to get a uh, uh, look at the game kind of as it's developing. Also see artwork that's being done. All the money that comes in through the Patreon will go to the artist to start paying uh, Beth to start doing wonderful artwork. We're starting concepting in the next few weeks. It's going to be fun. Um, and it's, I'm, it, I think I'm just Craig Campbell on, uh, if you dig for Patreon, you'll find and, and search for Craig Campbell, you'll find my page. Uh, well, thank you you again sean and thank you to steph sex i always mix up the name of the song and the artist steph sex for our opening and closing song which is called avel uh thank you steph sex license under creative commons and thank all of you for listening we'll see you back here next time bye